This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. The Capital One Venture X business card earns unlimited double miles on every purchase. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash VentureXBusiness. Hey there, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. And I know we're just starting, but I want to do a little thought experiment with you. If you were to hypothetically stop this podcast and walk down the busiest street in town, the one with all the bars and the cars with their windows down blaring music, if you were to just stop and listen, I bet you would not hear 2023's Song of the Summer. And that's because I'm here to declare there isn't one. It's the middle of July, and there's no song we can't stop listening to and also low-key hate at the same time. I'm also here to declare that this is a problem. For a certain generation, the song of the summer was tradition. We anticipated it. We craved it. We hated it. But we all did it together. NPR culture editor Bilal Qureshi and I are of that generation. And the other day, we were talking about the summer that Beyonce ruled the charts. On July 12th, 2003, 20 years ago this week, her debut solo single, Crazy in Love, went number one and stayed there for eight weeks. I mean, I think with a song like Crazy in Love, it was the kind of full assault on like music video, fashion, the image, the song. It was that sort of feeling of it being like 3D all summer, Ooh, you know what I mean? And, and kind of being everywhere yeah. all at once, you know, like that movie. <laughs> it also, I think to me, helped me create the map of that summer. You know, like when you remember a, su- a certain mm. summer, like you remember that certain summer song and it connected you to your memories and to other people. That was what I think of as the sort of shorthand that a summer song used to be. I do think that used to be, because I don't feel that way anymore. In 2003, Crazy in Love was a 3D experience. It's Beyonce. How y'all feeling, MTV? That's what made it inescapable. From the song itself, to the video, to the fashion that all of us were replicating well into the fall that year. It was monumental. Then I put it out and I was terrified because I didn't know how people would react, actually. And it ended up being the song of the summer. So I'm very blessed and very happy. And in 2023, nothing. I want to get into the consequences of why this is a problem. But first, I want to run around inside of that 3D experience because that kind of summer hit was a launching pad for so many pop megastars who still define pop culture today. I'm talking about Rihanna, Lil Wayne, Katy Perry, Usher, and of course, the queen herself, Beyonce Giselle Knowles Carter. (laughs) <laughs> you say her name and I'm just like, <laughs> chills. Go. I got goosebumps actually right now. <laughs> That's one of my producers, Corey Antonio Rose. And to get into the 3D experience, I sat him down for a history lesson. Because not to put him on blast, but he was only four years old when Crazy in Love came out. Corey Antonio, do you remember the first time? You heard Crazy in Love. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's like asking the first time you heard John 316. (laughs) 
uh, Crazy in Love is just one of those songs that I feel like I grew up with because it feel like it's just always been there. It's the staple. I mean, I was, I believe, 15. Oh, that's a good time. Oh, it was such a good time. Like, this is the thing. Like, not only was Crazy in Love the song of the summer, 2003, it was a cultural phenomenon and considered one of the biggest debuts by a solo artist ever. Hmm. And in researching for this conversation, I found some pretty legendary stories about the making of the song. Yes, please. Okay, so for starters, Beyonce had planned to release her solo debut album, Dangerously in Love, in October of 2002. But her fellow Destiny's Child member, Kelly Rowland, was dominating the charts in 02 with this song that she made with Nelly, Dilemma. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes, Dilemma. So because Dilemma was such a big, big, big song, and you remember the video had Patti LaBelle, who, you know, sang the song that Dilemma was basically fashioned after. Love Me Don't Watch You. Yes, yes. Exactly, exactly. So this song was so huge. It was such a huge hit. Beyonce had to wait because they didn't want to like have, you know, the Destiny Child girls stepping on each other's, you know, hits. Toes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So Beyonce had to wait it out because Dilemma was just that strong. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. And I and I do remember Dilemma. Because Beyonce had to hold her album from 2002-2003, this gave Beyonce more time to meet with more producers. And one of them was this guy... Rich Harrison, okay. who had worked with Kelly Rowland before, had worked with Mary J. Blige before, also had worked with um, Amory, one of his most famous collaborators. She had a huge hit, Why Don't We Fall in one Love. Thing. Yes. And One Thing, which came out, which ended up coming out later. But yeah, so they, like, you know, Rich Harrison was somebody that was in the mix, definitely was like a producer to watch at that moment. And he had been sitting on this beat that he thought would be a smash hit. It was a sample of this Shy Light song from December 1970 called Are You My Woman? Tell Me So. Hmm. And he took the percussion and the horns from the track and laid down what would become Crazy in Love. Ah! Corey Antonio, ah. not you hitting the uh-oh, uh-oh dance <laughs> in, the, in the chair. <laughs> have to i really hope nobody walked by this studio at the back um <laughs> yes i recognize it it just mm, it's that is the part of crazy and love that gets you like there's no intro to the song there's no soft sweet like la 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 before the instrumental hits it starts with that yes. so, crazy right now. so when you hear it it's immediately that toe tapping hip shaking gyrating (laughs) kind of feeling (laughs) so Beyonce and Rich Harrison get in touch and when he gets the call from Beyonce that she wants to hear some tracks for him he knew that this was the person he had been saving this track for and he was so confident that she would love it that the night before their meeting he went out partying to celebrate and the next day he was late to the meeting Imagine in 2023, a producer getting a call from Beyonce and going out the night before partying and showing up late to the meeting. 
imagine that in 2023. You wouldn't dare. I mean, I'd be, I'd be at the studio. I would have slept at the studio. Exactly. <laughs> 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 okay, so in that studio, a hungover Rich Harrison plays Beyonce that track. Rich says that Beyonce said, I love the idea. Now write the song. I'll be back in two hours. So he just had Ooh. the beat. He had not written a single word of the song yet. I'm imagining the pressure, the pressure of Beyonce closing that door after she leaves and you just sitting there with a pen and paper like, well, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> what are we going to do now? <laughs> what are we going to do exactly? What the hell are we going to do now? <laughs> now, what happens next is maybe my, my favorite part of the story. So Beyonce left. She's like, I'll be back in two hours because she needed to go buy a birthday present. For Kelly Rowland. Oh, wow. But before she left, she was saying to Rich that she was worrying about being photographed by the press. She kept saying, like, I'm looking crazy right now. You know, her clothes weren't matching and her hair wasn't combed. Mm. And Rich Harrison heard that and ran with it. By the time Beyonce came back, he had laid down the chorus and the verses. You got me sprung. I don't care who sees. Got me looking so crazy right now. Like that was just what came from that remark from Beyonce. Like, oh my God, I hope I, don't, I hope the paparazzi don't see me. I'm looking so crazy right now. The impact, the impact. The impact, the impact. Beyonce on her worst day is still better than us on our best. <laughs> Like Beyonce having an off look day, a mismatch outfit day. Wild, right? Literally spawned a cultural generation. All these elements came together like Captain Planet and (laughs) Crazy in Love in its complete form became Beyonce's debut single as a solo artist. And I mean, in a way, that birthday present to Kelly, I guess we can now say, was also something of a like, I'm so sorry. But move over. I move over. Like, I'm coming. <laughs> I'm coming through. Um, so, Corey Antonio, now that you know the backstory, how do you feel? What do you think? What's going through my mind right now is how consistently Beyonce has always paid homage to sort of like black history in her work. Mm-hmm. And given that Crazy Love is a sample from the 70s, mm-hmm. it just feels so fitting and so right that. That would be the song that launches this career that ends up, you know, in her being the first black woman to headline Coachella and paying uh, homage to the HBCU scene. Mm. It makes me smile that Crazy in Love, the foundation of it, is in this, like, steady history of black music. Hmm. But also, I'm just like, ugh. The amount of things that had to go right in order for Crazy in Love to happen, period, Mm -hmm. is like imagine what would our world be like if we didn't have it that was Corey antonio rose one of the producers of this show and who we call the beyonce of audio journalism coming up we're going deeper into that song of the summer 3d experience with beyonce's stylist and how he and Queen Bee got everyone to wear the same thing all summer long. I'm Brittany Luce, and you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. 
There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teladochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. This message is brought to you by Apple Pay. Fussing with plastic cards should be a thing of the past. Instead, pay the Apple way. Apple Pay is easy, secure, and built into iPhone. All you have to do is set it up. Just add a card in the Wallet app and you're good to go. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capella University. Sometimes it takes a different approach to unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format is designed to help you learn relevant skills at your own pace, so you can earn your degree on your terms and apply what you learn right away. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. NPR Plus is a new way to support public media and get more from your favorite NPR podcasts like Fresh Air. Sometimes I'll actually preface the question with, if it makes you too uncomfortable to talk about, if it's too personal, just tell me. Here's the question. For behind-the-scenes content, bonus episodes, and more, sign up at plus.npr.org. Of course, this song part of the Song of the Summer is pretty important, but another big part of the reason Crazy in Love was such a cultural phenomenon was the video. It was another slice of that 3D experience that Bilal was talking about earlier. The video was so a part of the culture that every girl that summer and well into the fall, and honestly, for years to come, were emulating the looks. I'm talking about that white tank top, those jean shorts, the red pumps. And to talk about this slice of the 3D experience, we're talking to the guy who dressed Beyonce for years, from Destiny's Child videos to the tuxedo look Beyonce wore for her first pregnancy announcement at the VMAs to the On The Run tour. I've got Beyonce's longtime stylist and the stylist for Crazy In Love, Ty Hunter. Ty Hunter, welcome to It's Been A Minute. Thank you for having me here. It's such an honor. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for making the time. So you styled Beyonce for many years, Mm -hmm. so many iconic looks, but you were there at the beginning of her solo career for Crazy in Love. And that song and the video and the fashion in the video are so linked together. You cannot think about the song without seeing Beyonce strutting in that white Prada tank top yeah. and those short denim shorts and the red Stuart Weitzman pumps. And you were picking looks. Did you think to yourself, I am picking something iconic? On set, like when we decided to do it and she came out with very minimal makeup and just like, it was just good to see a strip down from everything was so Destiny's Child, the Supremes, you know, <laughs> uh, and just to see some simplicity. Hmm. You know, I also have to note that in researching for this conversation, we found out that the tank top, though, that that iconic red, white, and blue look, that white product tank top. Rhinestone. Had rhinestones. I, didn't, <laughs> I, I literally, you had me going back through the video and like zooming in. I didn't. I didn't no realize one knew. that. No one knew. Everybody thought it was a simple tank top. But 
the cool thing was the reason why we started with less because we really mm-hmm. wanted the fans to have a chance to copy certain things and be able to be a part of mm-hmm. it. And so a jean short, a white tank, and some red pumps, of course, that end up, you see that on Halloween <laughs> everywhere. And it just became a staple <laughs> for uh, something the girls could emulate and copy. Mm. You know, that tank top and denim shorts were the opening look. But from there, the fashion... And the price tags go up. I mean, we're talking uh-huh. about that sleek green, you that know, Gucci. that the Gucci dress on the roof yes. and the yeah, the Roberto Cavalli fur coat in front of the burning car. You got to know all the names. I can't take you. <laughs> we do our research. We do our research. We do our research. I see. <laughs> but I it all it. culminates for me in my absolute favorite look in the video. The neon block Versace, Versace yes. dress when Beyonce's in front of the fan. That Versace uh, whole collection, we fell in love with it. It was just like a cool, urban, but yet chic look. And to be honest with you, Donatello sent me and Miss Tina the whole collection to play with. My jaw's on the floor. Whoa, okay. But we were like, wouldn't it be great if we could put all of this stuff all of the Versace whole collection on the dancers too and just have a Versace moment. And we saw the set and it was this huge fan. So B was like, we can make this into a runway Versace campaign. Let's just see if we can use it on the dancers. And so the time difference was a little different. So I finally was able to get in contact with someone from her team to get the okay. And when we got the okay, we was Donatella. like, yes, we can do this. And so it was just an exciting time. And I love Beyonce because she loves to empower women and beautiful women. And she wants them to look hot too. You know what I mean? It's rare that you find <laughs> a star that wants, she wants them to shine as bright as her. She believes in the whole package just being bright. Hmm. You know, I, I also think it's it's interesting that in that video, Beyonce goes from the girl next door to like a superstar by the time you get to that ending Versace look. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of makes me think back to still that first outfit. I love that there was that look in there because, I mean, trust, I was emulating some form of the the white tank top and the, <laughs> the denim Daisy Dukes and, <laughs> and heels like uh, throughout my early 20s. Yes. Um, but I mean, to throw a wrench in that, even though that is kind of like the girl next door look, like those rhinestones that, like you said, most people don't notice, they they kind of signal that, in fact, Beyonce, she's not like the rest of us. <laughs> because, you know, you know what I'm saying? it's like she's the girl next door, but not quite. She's not quite like the rest of us. Because, you know, who, am, who among us, at least of her fans, as I was at that time, could afford that. Like the first interview I did, and I'm and I said the top hat rhinestones, and people started zooming in. It was like they was like, "Well, that's why I didn't get the outfit quite right. <laughs> it was something missing. Exactly. It was like I look cute, but it was exactly. something missing." <laughs> yeah, I was like, I know, I know. Part of it is that I'm not Beyonce, but part of it, I was like, it's not shivering the same way. <laughs> I mean, you really did that, huh? Like, like made the unachievable seem achievable. To this day, it's my favorite body of work. Mm. Thank you so, so much, Ty, for joining us today. I really appreciate this conversation. Like I said, it, it, this is one of my favorite music videos of all time. So it was a pleasure to unpack it. Thank you. That was Ty Hunter, Beyonce's longtime stylist. His new book is called Makeover From Within. Coming up, we fast forward to 2023. And look at why that 3D experience Crazy in Love gave us isn't possible today. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Debit card users, Discover has something especially for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can start earning cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back on debit purchases because cash back isn't just for credit cards. Plus, there are no fees, period. Finally, the game-changing checking account you deserve. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast. This message comes from NPR sponsor Bluehost introducing Wondersuite. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few questions and get a unique, customizable WordPress website or store right away. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. With NPR Plus, there's more to hear, like extended interviews with some of the experts we talk to at Planet Money and The Indicator. It's a mistake for economists to only think about economic efficiency when considering policies because you'll actually wind up with a worse outcome. And with NPR Plus, you help keep NPR going. Learn more at plus.npr.org. Now that we've gotten a picture of how to create not just a song of the summer, but a 3D experience for it, I want to turn away from 2003 and towards 2023. 20 years later, Beyonce is still ruling the culture. Her massive Renaissance World Tour just landed in the U.S. this week. And she's still on top because, of course, she is an incredible artist. But I also think there's something else going on. The music industry does not know how to create a megastar like a Beyonce in our current fractured media landscape. Instead, they're increasingly relying on pop stars from an earlier era. And NPR culture editor Bilal Qureshi and I both think that has the potential to radically change how the next generation will experience pop stardom. Like, I think that's one of the big things that people in the music industry have been talking about is the sort of end of the monoculture, right? Like that term, which is everywhere, that there used to be these like movie stars that do we have movie stars anymore? Do we have a certain music star that sort of is collectively loved by across and maybe some of it is not love but you're you're forced to love because they're everywhere mm-hmm. it's sort of mm-hmm. cliche and not that insightful i suppose to say that like the streaming age the airpod age like we're all plugged into our own realities now right and so that's a big part of what i think has really changed we don't really have a monoculture superstar anymore because we also don't really have a monoculture and we have an airpod culture something i've been thinking about as we've been preparing to talk to you is like what's replaced monoculture listening. And it's like Spotify wrapped because of, as you put it, AirPod culture, everyone's like, okay, so what were you listening to? Like at the end of the year, we're all like comparing notes. Like, well, what were you listening to? What were you actually into? Because we kind of don't have that communal experience in the same way anymore. The last time I think I really felt like that happened, it wasn't quite a song of the summer. Um, It was more like a song of the winter, was Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. She's maybe the last pop artist that I can think of, the only Gen Z pop artist that I can think of who had some sort of artist development and like, you know, having her social media, like following be braided into the journey of her releasing her, you know, debut single. Like there were all of these things that had to go right, but all of those things were still done with intention and orchestrated on purpose. 
Well, you know, I mean, I have to, I have to say, t- to me, like when you're talking about Crazy in Love, it it feels like or just those those Beyonce yeah. songs or single ladies. It's like the song was the central product, hmm. and like everything else was hmm. spun around it. And I kind of feel like that isn't the case anymore because it's it's like when you look at the stardom of somebody like a Taylor Swift, it's like she's the central thing. Her diaries, the feeling of connection to her. I'm not well saying that her songs aren't. Whatever, right? She has so many songs that she can go on like such, a, such a long tour. tour. And I think that is because of that connection to her hmm. and not just to a specific song. Yeah, I, I think it's the, I mean, everything is, I mean, the industry has changed so much, mm. as you said. Yeah, I mean, the music industry has changed. As you mentioned, how we consume music has changed dramatically. I like that idea of us living in AirPod culture as opposed to a monoculture. How do you think those changes have an impact on a song rising to the top? I, I was actually looking at the, after, you know, we were talking about having this conversation, I looked at like the Spotify top 50 and and I didn't recognize a bunch of those songs. And I, and I also have to say like 20 of them were Taylor Swift songs mm-hmm. from her archives. Um, and so I, I do wonder like what does rise to the top now? It's it's not so easy to, to see. And like, I, I think one of the things that happens is like everyone has their own top song of the summer. And so I, I do feel like it has probably really reduced the impact and the cultural longevity of people's careers too. Cause I think one of the things we're talking about is like what it did was that, was that, was that great su- summer song set somebody up for a long career. They could go on an archive tour. They could keep playing that song for decades to come. And I don't think that we have, if, if everything just kind of comes and goes in like a wave and then has disappeared and replaced immediately, I, I don't think things have the same lasting quality that they used to. If there are no more or no new uh, major tentpole artists, then I imagine that in the future, there's not going to be artists that can fill a stadium. And we lose that experience of 60,000 people who are singing along at the same time, you know? Um and like we did with Beyonce in Stockholm, you know what I'm saying? Which was, well, I don't know. Not everybody in Stockholm was singing along. I'm not going to lie. But at least there were other the people. The Swedes were not all singing along. That's they were true. not all singing along. <laughs> no. But still that experience of, of being in a stadium with tens of thousands of other people who are just as psyched to be there as you are, who love the music um, and who are there to take in this amazing show and share in this experience together. What do you think we lose if we all can't share and an experience like that. I think we, I mean, we lose a very core part of like feeling a sense of community with other people. I think with music and pop culture, one of the reasons I think we talk about it so much is that it is the shorthand for how we connect to people. You know, unless you get to really know people well and spend a lot of time with them, the movies we all know and, and the pop culture we all watch, I think that creates a lot of the connective tissue that makes us feel like we're part of a city or part of a, of a time or part of a, of a country. Mm. You know, to me, I always felt like Crazy in Love, it connected to me as an immigrant to this country to a strong sense of like Americanness. Mm. Those were the kind of American anthems, you know? And I think now when you look not just at music, but you look at like movies and TV shows and like the Emmy nominations are happening, you know, this week. It's like some of those shows, their devoted audiences know, but like a lot of people don't even know that that show existed. You know what I mean? Yeah. There are very minor kind of fandoms of things that make it harder to feel like their national connective tissue. I do feel like that's what is a part of the point of pop. It's a shorthand and it's a, a marker of a time. I don't mind like floating off into my own world, but we did it for a few years. You don't want to do it all the time. <laughs> I mean, I read a really interesting piece about 
Jack Antonoff, who's produced a lot of Taylor Swift's like new albums and who's the mm -hmm. super producer behind a lot of pop albums in recent years. And it's in mm -hmm. Drift Magazine. One of the things it's said is that he, cre he has perfected this kind of sound of like a cinema of your own. Like when you listen to one of his songs, it feels like you're listening to a soundtrack of your own like memories and life. And hmm. the way that it also sounds in your ears, it's like very kind of, I think production makes it easy to feel like I don't know, you're kind of in this airy, widescreen world that's just for you. Yeah. I think there's a place for that kind of music, but I also think the point of like Crazy in Love is that when those beats come in at the beginning and like, you know, the marching that she does in those shorts, it's like that was a moment that you know when it comes on, everyone feels it viscerally. It isn't just an airy feeling in your mind. It's a physical connection. You know, and, and I and I do wonder whether that's something that we lose mm. and, and that kind of feeling of joint marching, you know? I mean, when we don't have those happy, fun things as shared cultural touch points, what do we relate to? What do we talk about when we meet a stranger? All that is left if we don't have like the fun, happy cultural touch points are like sad and depressing things like the news or like yeah. the news or like COVID or terrorist attacks or or inflation, inflation, school shootings, <laughs> unemployment. Right. Those right. are the things that we have that everybody is experiencing together. Well, I also think we shouldn't underestimate like how big of a thing it is for like how people also perceive America, not only at home, but also abroad, you know, American pop culture for better and worse. A lot of people would think it's a very dom overly dominant and like almost imperial force. But part of the reason I think everyone around the world loved America and loves America sometimes is because our pop culture is like such a global force. And mm. people have tended to look at America as a place of, you know, positive, optimistic thought in the past. I'm not so sure if everybody always does now, but I do think that you know, I mean, there, and, you know, the other thing is, like, we now have lots of new centers of pop, right? I mean, some could argue that, like, what's happening with Afropop or what's happening with pop in Latin America and in the Middle East yeah. and the idea that now people aren't trying to cross over to America but singing in Spanish. There may be just new centers of pop, you know, mm. but I do think that we had a time when I think the American pop song, Song of Summer, uh, national anthem was kind of a shorthand <laughs> for a sort of feeling of like euphoria and and exuberance mm. and i do think the whole point of summer is that you should feel for a few months like lifted and excited and mm. looking forward mm. well Bilal, that was so thoughtful and so great thank you so much for joining us today yet again thank you so much for having me and this was so fun to think aloud with you thank you that was npr culture editor Bilal qureshi and i hope you all make this podcast a 3d experience by sharing it with a friend talking about it at dinner, or perhaps tweeting me your song of the summer. Hey, Brittany, it's Steve from Salt Lake. The Emmy nominations were announced this week, and I have a question. Why do the Emmys and other major award organizations virtually ignore sci-fi shows like Star Trek, for instance? Granted, they do get some love in the makeup, costumes, editing, and special effects categories, but they don't get a lot of love when it comes to the acting, directing, and overall series and episodes categories. Why is that? 
Hi, Steve from Salt Lake. Thank you so much for calling in. And also, like, it's, I think you're the first person to call in from a place I haven't been before. So I'm feeling very international right now. <laughs> but it's a really good question. Now, I will say I did see a nomination for Andor, which I know to be one of the Star Wars series. But... It's still like, what, one series in like a sea of a bajillion sci-fi series that are out there, as you mentioned, Star Trek. I actually heard the newest Star Trek installment is one of the best television shows of the year, although I have yet to check it out. I mean, even to the point where Lost was the very first sci-fi show to win outstanding drama series at the Emmys in the mid-2000s. Very, very, very sus, I would say. But I think that there are a couple things happening. There's kind of a narrow focus with Emmy voters. They're are like eight shows I feel like every season that managed to capture their attention I love Succession as much as the next person but every single actor like every single lead actor in the series was nominated for an award I watch a lot of these shows and enjoy them myself but I think sometimes that narrow focus can block out a lot of other programming that is just as good and just as imaginative second of all I think that there is some short-sightedness I think that like People have a very, again, narrow idea of what constitutes prestige TV. It has to be about mob bosses. It has to be about broken families. I think there's this idea that if like nobody's crying, going to jail, shooting each other, or having like some sort of terrible family conflict, if things are not based in quote unquote real world issues, then the show is not going to connect with viewers. And I find that so interesting because one of the things that really appeals to me about sci-fi storytelling is that it expands on this world that we're living in and give us a perspective on some of the biggest questions that we as humans have. So, I mean, I'm kind of with you. Thank you so much for writing in, Steve. This was really thoughtful. And to all of you listening, I want to know what you want to talk about too. Anything from the biggest pop culture story of the week to the newest bangers to the TV show everyone is talking about. If there's something everyone in your world is going on about, record a quick voice memo with your first name, location, and the topic, and send it to ibam at npr.org. That's I-B-A-M at npr.org. I cannot wait to hear what you want to talk about. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Alexis Williams, Liam McBain, Corey Antonio Rose. Our editor is Jessica Plachek. We have fact-checking help from Nicolette Kahn. Engineering support came from Stacy Abbott. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of Programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of Programming is Anya Grundman. All right, that's our show for today. I'm Brittany Luce. See you next week for another episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. The Capital One Venture X business card earns unlimited double miles on every purchase. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash VentureXBusiness. Hey there, everybody. It's Peter Sagal. On our show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, it's usually just jokes. But a man cannot live on dad jokes alone. Sometimes you need to express your trauma that haunts you and drives you, as I did on a bonus episode just for Wait, Wait Plus supporters. A deep dish pizza hurt me. That's right. For a chance to hear the raw, real, revealing truth, sign up for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Plus at plus.npr.org in order to feel my pain.